The SGGQA podcast is brought to you in part by Me Audio. So here's the deal. If you've ever seen me in a live stream or in an interview or some other kind of video, you've probably seen me wearing some fancy earbuds. For the last couple years, my work buds have been almost exclusively from Me Audio. Excellent drivers, fantastic accessories, and both my wife and I had our ears scanned by the folks at Me Audio for custom molded ear tips. Super comfy. The MX line of Pro in-ear monitors is one of the easiest lineups to understand, starting at $60 and built around actual professional use. Detailed sound and durable construction, but also with some fun options like customizable faceplates. Even if you're not working on stage or in studio, Pro solutions like these are fantastic audio options, and they don't need to break the bank. And the company also supports a lineup of consumer gear with options for true wireless and noise-canceling Bluetooth earbuds, adapters for TVs to stream your audio to nicer headphones, and headsets for kids to help control the volume on fresh, developing ears. I can't stress that last one enough. We have to start kids out with healthier listening habits. It's a great combo, high-quality audio gear built by a team of folks with recording-grade use in mind, but at consumer-friendly prices. But of course, I can do you one better. If you shop the kit at meaudio.com and use promo code SOMEGADGETGUY at checkout, you can save an additional 10% over their already competitive prices. Once again, meaudio.com, M-E-E, audio.com. Shop some fun kit, promo code SOMEGADGETGUY at checkout, 10% off. Keep your ears and your wallet happy at the same time. I want to thank the folks at Me Audio for hooking up the promo code. Now, let's get on with the show. All right. I believe this means we are live. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, tech fans of all shapes and sorts and sizes and persuasions, welcome to another episode of the Monday Morning Chat Show, Tech Chat Show, the show that we do. <laughs> I had one beer last night for the Super Bowl. And I'm exhausted. Uh, <laughs> welcome, everybody, to the show where we talk about tech and tech news and tech politics and gadgets. I'm Juan Carlos Magnell, a.k.a. Some Gadget Guy, the SGG of this horribly named podcast. But the QA, that's the important part because that obviously stands for question and answers. We like to make this a more interactive conversation. I like to start off our week kind of looking at the news stories that have hit, that we can get a feel for what's been going on. One of the major stories that people were talking about last week is a story that I think really exemplifies the difference between my chat full of really thoughtful and considerate geeks that like to really understand what's going on and the sort of knee-jerk reactions that a lot of people have to the headlines on tech stories who didn't really read the article. So, boy, that was a loaded intro. I hope everybody had a a lovely time. Uh, This is like one of the biggest holiday seasons of the Americas, uh, specifically the United States of Americas, where yesterday was the Super Bowl. I had no horse in last night's race. It was kind of nice just to see... Two teams kind of go touchdown for touchdown. It was a pretty high-scoring game where the two teams felt decently evenly matched up to whoever had the ball last. I mean, that's the kind of Super Bowl we had last night. Can't remember many of the commercials or anything. I didn't really feel a lot of that stood out. This was the first time in three years 
that we'd gotten together with some friends. Uh, before the pandemic, we used to do a chili, chili, chili cook-off um, where we would make different kinds of stews. I'm New Mexican, so I would come with like a New Mexican green chili stew, whereas another one of my friends really likes making like Southern-style, Texan-style chili, not, you know, chili peppers, but like, you know, hearty stews. And we'd have these these kinds of showdowns. Uh, it It was more emotional than I thought it would be to walk into a home filled with crock pots and instant pots and smelling a, a cacophony <laughs> of different stews kind of hitting me in the face and the football games kind of playing in the background and there are kids running around and we're just eating way too much food. Like I said, I had a beer. <laughs> my one little consumption of alcohol was enough to like, I'm not hungover this morning, but I don't feel good. Um, it was really, really lovely. So it, it, not not to say, you know, like other holidays and stuff, I make this joke about any excuse for a party or any excuse for a celebration. But if you got to break some bread with some good friends, I hope you had a good time. And if you had, if you cared about the teams in this year's Super Bowl, I hope the outcome was in your favor. Uh, it really did see... Um, seem it really did seem like uh, this was this was a pretty decent game. Um, I, I mean, we were watching it. I just didn't really like. Again, it's like I'm not really super emotionally invested. In fact, for for me and a couple of the friends there, there was much more discussion. Um, uh, Rihanna was the singer for the halftime show, and uh, first of all, I thought it was just baller. It wasn't Rihanna and guests. It was just Rihanna. So that's pretty impressive. Like she commanded that stage beautifully loved it more we were like how did they do the rigging yeah because i i work with I, i'm hanging out with a bunch of people who work in the entertainment industry and we're all sitting there watching this the super bowl show going like how did they do that rigging how are the platforms staying that stable how, what are what are they connecting them to why aren't they swinging more i mean it was just a really impressive feat of engineering to put people on floating platforms and not have them being like waka 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 the entire time where dancers are dancing on them awesome <laughs> i mean it was a spectacular feat of engineering i was more impressed with that than i was the the physical acumen of like the players on the field doing amazing football things i'm sitting there trying to work out the engineering on well if i rigged a scaffolding how would i cross support that and how would i brace it but then it's also got to hang and move but if it's going to be floating what is it going to be attached to but i don't see a crane i <laughs> <laughs> that one kind of broke my brain a little bit. So, uh, yes, happy Super Bowl, everybody. Uh, <laughs> got a lot of chat coming in here. Oh, the Hawks. The Chiefs would have won if Philly hadn't handed them the game on a platter. I, again, I had no horse in this race. I, I mean, when it comes to two teams that are literally like touchdown for touchdown, because the score just kept like tick-tocking back and forth, right? Just just click here, click there, click here, click there. Um Whenever I see a game like that, it really is like what team has the the stamina to keep going back and not get demoralized. Like, yeah, we just scored on them. Oh, they just scored on us. Now we're we're kind of back to even again. And it, it just becomes the mind game of who can really stick it out to the very last play. And I think games like that can also be a really... Um, a, a really exciting way to kind of watch two teams. Because I like that better than when when it's just like a blowout. No one likes watching a blowout. Like, oh, these are the two best teams in the NFL. Oh, but that one team totally tanked. <laughs> you know, like that doesn't feel good 
for what's supposed to be the end, the culmination, the ultimate matchup of the bestest team. So yeah, it's it's fine. <laughs> Jojo, there was a lot of chatter about that. Jojo says, I love how everyone was afraid to ask if Rihanna was pregnant or not. <laughs> like, are we talking about that? Is she telling us something? What's what's going on? So yeah. Yeah, it was pretty good. Uh so um here, let me get this out of the way. Yeah, Marilyn, I I mean, again, for, for what I was really kind of tuning in for, Marilyn says both teams played really well, made for an exciting game. I feel like um I feel like that that's all we can ask for for a good uh uh for for a good showdown. And Kapakash, yeah, this is kind of what I'm talking about. Kapakash says Eagles were the better team, but they came into the second half and forgot to play. <laughs> so yeah. All right. Um, here, let me get that out of the way there. Good. We've got a lot of news. I don't have as structured a tech block, but I've been playing with the OnePlus 11, the OnePlus Buds Pro 2, the Vivo X90 Pro, the Poco X5. There's so much tech on my desk right now that I, I kind of want to go into the second half leading a conversation with this chat. This chat is already rocking my socks, so I know we're in for a good time this week. But I, I really want to spend the part of the tech block talking about the story that came out about Chinese phones. So normally I would put something like that in the news block, but this one I feel deserves a little bit more attention. And so we're going to spend a little bit more time focused on that. So uh, why don't we knock out some housekeeping, just get that out of the way right up front. And then uh, we can knock out the news block and follow up on a couple stories that I think are really interesting for broadband and the FCC. We've got two FCC related stories this week. And uh, we don't have to spend a ton of time on either of them. They're just things that I think we should keep an eye on. I'm going to chug some coffee here real quick. Pardon while I mute my mic for just a second. Okay. So uh, all of the stories we're going to be talking about this week, uh, everything that you'll be able to find, show notes, uh, videos, everything that's going to be referenced here, you can find on this week's blog post for the podcast, somegadgetguy.com. And uh, yeah, tech, tech by Jermaine. Here we go with that. Yes, we are absolutely doing that. But first, I put out some stuff last week. Here's the quick rundown. Oh, I didn't reformat my my browser window. Hold on. Doing it live. Best podcasting ever. Uh, OnePlus Buds Pro 2 review, putting the AirPods Pro 2 on notice. You notice a little SEO game I'm playing there. Because no one will click on things unless you put an Apple product name in your video or article title. This is not a video. This is a write-up that I did just listening to the AirPods, uh, the AirPods, the OnePlus Buds Pro 2. Here is a picture of me wearing the OnePlus Buds Pro 2. And uh, I've got a lot of thoughts on the OnePlus Buds Pro 2 that we'll chat about in the gadget block. And uh, I also put out a, an editorial video. I... I feel like I beat the rush by hours. So I put out this video, how would you fix Netflix plan pricing? And I, in this editorial, I put in some suggestions like, I don't think you should charge like this. I think that it would make more money, make more sense to make more money by charging like that. We would spend more money on Netflix if we could choose this. I put it out there. Literally hours later, we got a deluge of posts on social media from people, especially people in Canada, 
Canada became kind of a hotbed for people contacting Netflix support to ask about, well, I operate this and I have this, but that's a part of my plan. Am I going to be affected by these new rule changes? And Netflix support basically going, yeah, that won't work for you. What you could do instead is you could add an additional fee or have a separate uh, Netflix plan. So you could pay twice as much to use basically the same uh, the same streaming content and, and have the same access to the catalog. If you just want to pay us twice for the same content, that would be great. And that's a bad way to handle the top tier of customers. This is where I feel Netflix is going to run into trouble because they're going to base all of their quarterlies on talking about subscriber growth. And I guarantee you, they're going to pick up a whole bunch of more, a whole bunch more subscribers with the ad supported plans, the cheapest plans, but that's going to come at the expense of the premium tier plans. Marie and I, last week we were talking about how we just dropped down to the HD level, the, the two streams at 1080p. Uh, we just pulled the trigger on going down to one stream at 720. The, the majority of like watched content is our daughter watching kid shows. And then I really like Netflix just for some of the shows that I can kind of keep on in the background. It's entertainment, but I don't need to spend that much on it. So we've gone down from two streams to one, one concurrent stream. And Marie point blank hit me over the weekend. What if we just canceled it? We have been on Netflix since the earliest days of DVDs in the mail. And she just hit me out of the blue. I don't watch anything on Netflix anymore. We can pick it up for a month when there's a show that we want to catch. And I don't even know that we'll do that because I'm not confident they'll give it an ending. So my wife just banhammered Netflix. <laughs> just bodied Netflix in our house. We're going to go down to one stream at 720 for a bit just to see like what Lex really watches. That might be it. <laughs> that might be it. And that's a bummer because I really am a fan of Netflix games. You know what? If, if I need to play TMNT Shredder's Revenge, I guess I'll just need to play it on my Steam Deck and not on my phone. Um, th this is... This is rough territory for Netflix. So again, I'd, I'd appreciate it if folks hit that video. And then what would you do to fix Netflix? Leave a comment on that poster on that video. Uh, some quick housekeeping. I also got to review the Soundpeats Opera 3. These are true wireless earbuds. This is a brand that really maximizes a bang for buck conversation with Bluetooth earbuds. They're trying to promote a new audio file on a wallet-friendly budget kind of kind of product and this is a this is a turn the the opera three are earbuds that are packaged a little nicer than some of their other earbuds so if you want uh the scoop on some inexpensive but nice uh earbuds that that was a fun review to put together and then the biggie oh i've got to scroll down not up the biggie was uh, we finally took the wraps off the international embargo for the OnePlus 11, and I put out five videos in one day talking about the OnePlus 11, where it fits in the lineup, some comparisons with other phones, and some pretty in-depth, um, some of my harder core benchmarking and performance testing. So video rendering, podcast mixing, batch photo processing. This is a pretty remarkable little pocket computer. Spoiler does things well and it does things fast <laughs> so you can you can really go into what you care about their five shorter videos my first draft on making a one plus 11 embargo review because we we have had it for a couple weeks 
Um, my first draft on that was over 30 minutes long. The script was ridiculous. So I was like, hey, you know what? Instead of trying to do that and do chapters and do all this stuff, I'm going to carve these up into specific videos and people can watch what they want and we'll see how that goes. YouTube is is obviously going to tank my production one way or the other. Like, it doesn't matter. I put out a 30-minute video. YouTube isn't going to put out that one video. If I put out five videos, it's kind of the same. So they're all doing okay, but, you know, I, I couldn't put, you know, Samsung is on notice with the OnePlus. And, like, that's – I already did it once for the earbuds. I'm not going to do every single video with just straight-up clickbait. <laughs> So Flowtech Wolf, uh, hi Juan, I'm thinking of switching to either a Pixel or a Galaxy when my current contract with my phone expires, but I'm nervous about switching to Android since I've always used an iPhone as my phone. Any advice? So um, the ecosystem and infrastructure stuff is usually the most painful. I mean, obviously when you pick up a competing phone, you go from an iPhone to an Android or an Android to an iPhone, all those little things just take time. Familiarity is the biggest issue you'll face because like you're used to going here to get this done and now it looks a little different or it feels a little different in terms of the most straightforward UI, the most straightforward camera experience, having the backing of the software support and the hardware synergy, I'd lean in a recommendation towards the Pixel. But if the reason you're leaving iOS is because you want more features and you want more advanced computing options, then I would definitely lean Galaxy because then you've got, you've got features like DeX. If you've been thinking like, hey, it would be really cool if I didn't have to always pack and carry laptops or tablets or all these other things, my phone should be powerful enough to do this. You can't do that on a Pixel. So it really depends why you're making the switch. If you're making the switch because you want more novelty, you want a fresher experience that has a lot more bells and whistles and, and crazy things to play with, I would lean towards the galaxy of those two phones. But if you're just wanting to try out Android with the most accessible version of Android and you're looking for sort of the, the cleanest transition from iOS to Android, then I would definitely go Pixel. I think that's a smaller step <laughs> into the world of Android. But then on after that, whichever one you pick, you've just got to get up to speed on Google services, what, you know, rebuying apps, that is kind of a pain, getting all your services kind of plugged in and set up the way that you were used to. All that stuff just takes a little time. People try and do this like, I've had the phone for two days and it's not as good. And you're like, eh. No, that's your familiarity. That has nothing to do with the quality of either experience. So give it a little time, kind of walk into that and know that it just takes a while before you're not fighting the UI because your muscle memory, it has to be reprogrammed too. All right. Um, oh, yeah. So many people are talking about it, like, yeah, I've got to cancel my Netflix. <laughs> All right, I've got to scroll all this down. Uh, yeah, Tech by Jermaine. I I hate how you need to almost put in Samsung or Apple just to get views. I'm I don't want to play that game. I really don't. Even in my Netflix, uh, my Netflix editorial, I'm doing cringy face with a useless arrow, and and like lots of colors and things. And you're like, I I hate this so much. I hate it. I shouldn't have to play that game just to get the YouTube algorithm to actually push my video out to people. Um, 
yeah, it, it's 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 pretty it's pretty rough. So uh, all of those articles and videos and everything you can find on somegadgetguy.com. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of toying around with how I want to sort of uh, publish and promote content. And there's a part of me I'm almost wondering, like, maybe I should just turn off uh, comments on my YouTube channel. And anyone who really wants to engage in a discussion can go to my website and that way I'll, I'll filter out even more the people who leave just toxic and hateful comments on everything because they won't make the effort to leave YouTube. <laughs> this is why I'm really like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. This has like been the most brutal era of video content creation to try and host these kinds of conversations. So um, we're done with housekeeping. Oh, Raj, actually, this is a pretty good point. Hold on. Come on. Come on. There we go. I think software experiences are like management fads. People starting with feature-rich UI search for simpler ones and vice versa. This happens on a regular basis. I completely agree. I think there is something in our nature where we do seek some novelty. But then with communications equipment, where the phone has become such a primary first interaction with our contacts, with our messaging, with our, our memories, capturing our memories, I feel like we're risk averse in some directions. Like the notion of, hey, I want to switch from iOS to Android. I know of Samsung and Google. So those are the two that I'm going to pick. Well, if you're leaving iOS because you want a better gaming experience, you could look at a gaming phone, but that's like a niche too far. If you wanted to switch because you really wanted the best compute experience, you could look at a Motorola. If you were familiar with the DSLR and you wanted a more camera-like experience, you could go to a Sony. But those are way lower visibility. So it takes a while to kind of you know, like dip your toe in and then go like, oh, but was that what I really wanted? You know, the psychology of that is critical. And it's, it's not to say you're incorrect if you want to pick two of the most popular options, but it's just to say if there's a reason why you're seeking out novelty, the Android ecosystem has a huge spectrum of different devices. And we still have some of those dividing lines where it makes sense that you could pick something that really zeroes in on something that you care about specifically. McCorcoran <laughs> 3. Uh, if you're willing to buy used phones, you could actually afford a Pixel and a Galaxy and try them both out. <laughs> Pump the brakes there. I would focus on one. I really would. Now, I, I understand what you're saying, uh, McCorkerin, um, because you're you're totally correct. But, and I just want to throw this out here, the functional, if you're really shopping Samsung versus, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're really shopping, hold on, let me, I've got just this little tickle, I'm going to get another drink of coffee here. Someone's, someone's got an iPhone and they want to switch from iOS to Android. Right now, you could pick up, if gaming is not a top priority for your phone. And I mean like graphics intense gaming, not like gem swap. You know, if you're if you're playing some bejeweled clone, <laughs> you don't need much graphics horsepower. So if you're coming from like an iPhone 12, not a 12 Pro, but like an iPhone 12, the feature to feature experience of a Pixel 6a is remarkably close. I would say the Pixel has better stills performance on the main sensor. I think the iPhone has a slightly better ultra-wide experience. The video features are pretty close. Um, the screens are 
pretty close. The iPhone's just going to have a few other little lifestyle perks like like wireless charging. Um, I don't know that the 6A has true millimeter wave 5G if you're in, a, in an area with millimeter wave, but you can find that Pixel 6A for around $300. So the feature-to-feature -feature experience of comparing a three to $400 Pixel 6A lines up pretty well with like a seven or $800 iPhone. So we're already at half the price. You get that core Pixel experience on a phone that's kind of cute and adorable and you're, you're ready to go. I think that could be a really good introduction to the world of Android where I don't, re I don't think people realize how much they've been overpaying on iPhones for just average consumer covering the basics. We've sort of normalized $800 for a phone that doesn't punish you. Is iPhone SE or iPhone number? Like, that's a huge gap between an SE and an iPhone 14. There's a huge window in there. And if you spend iPhone SE money on an Android, you are going to have a much better experience. The hardware is generations better. I'm not exaggerating. The iPhone SE is basically an iPhone 6 with just a newer processor. That's five generations of phones better for $400. So anyway, um, let, 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 let's, let's kind of move on here. <laughs> I mean, I can get, we can go deep in the weeds here. Um, we're going to cover the news block here. And I do want to start off with the FCC stories because uh, we don't need to spend a lot of time on them. I really want you to read uh, both of the articles. Actually, both of these are on Ars Technica, but one of these um, I just picked up um, uh, from ZDNet first. So first FCC story, the, the, the little lead into this. Last week, we talked about uh, a broadband provider that had been sort of fibbing on their coverage maps to harm competition. There's all this money going in. Taxpayer dollars are going into this infrastructure, and these corporations are playing some really obnoxious games, and we haven't seen yet what is the penalty. So far, I haven't seen where the FCC is really applying fines or punitive actions to companies that are misrepresenting their coverage to get more money from the federal government and to prevent money going to their competitors. And last last week, we talked about a little regional broadband provider. This week, Comcast. And I feel if you needed to make an example out of any company, I think Comcast is overdue some being made an example of in a high-profile kind of way. This is written up, of course, by John Brodkin. I have a huge man crush on John Brodkin. He does amazing work over at Ars Technica. Comcast gave false map data to FCC and did not admit it until Ars got involved. Um, this article is so well documented. So this breaks down the entire chain of events where an individual could not get Comcast service to his home in Colorado he uh, sent a notice to the FCC. The FCC basically said, well, you know, just work it out with Comcast. Comcast told us that they do have service to your home. So just, just talk to them. And then he reached out to neighbors who also showed coverage on Comcast's map who also did not have access and had to go back to the FCC where several rounds of this Comcast is defending the map that they sent the FCC to the FCC until a major publication, until Ars Technica got involved 
And now we're saying like, oh, oh no, we really didn't, but we were planning on supplying service. That's why they're on our coverage map, which in a very legal sense is misrepresenting your product. That's, I don't want to say it's a lie, <laughs> but it's supplying false data to a government agency to apply for taxpayer funds to subsidize your business that is already insanely profitable. Also that you can make it even more profitable and deliver more value to your shareholders. So I feel there needs to be a corrective action from regulators to discourage other companies from utilizing similar business practices. And it needs to be punitive enough that they will make less money on doing things like this. So they've gotten money from the federal government and they're going to get a slap on the wrist. We're going to fine you a million dollars. That's not what they're doing. I actually don't know what the actual punitive assessment of a, of a, a, an oopsie like this might be. Um, cause again, in a very legal sense, you'd have to prove intent and whether or not there was, uh, whether they were trying to defraud the government. Like we, we need to be able to read Comcast's mind as a, an individual entity to see if there was malfeasance. But essentially what'll happen is they've made a ton of money off the government. They've been able to keep funds out of their competitors' hands. There is a monetary value to that kind of business practice. And let's say it profited them billions. If they don't get a fine for billions, then there's nothing to discourage them from doing something like that in the future. It's just a minor tax that they need to pay on a business practice that will make them way more money. We need to start assessing fines in a way where companies go, hey, you know, if we do that, they're going to take so much money from us, we won't make a profit on doing something nefarious. So maybe we should just look at improving our service so that more customers sign up and we make more money. Because that's what we've been promising for like 30 years. We, we keep just kind of dabbling. <laughs> we don't, there's no really incentive for us to make this better. We just kind of keep telling people it's better and they're sort of like, yeah, it's cool, whatever. Awful. Um, yeah, I just want to hit this from McCorcoran here down at the bottom. Um, Comcast and AT&T are the two most poopy companies I ever had to interact with besides maybe student lenders or health insurance companies. There's a reason why Comcast is always topping the charts on like least satisfied customers because those customers have no option to leave Comcast. It's kind of always the worst. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of people lies. <laughs> I love it. Oh, man. It's so brutal. All right, here. Uh, let's get this out of the way here. The second FCC story, because we were just talking about Comcast. Comcast can't supply broadband to these addresses, but they say they can. It misrepresents their service. We have an FCC that is going to reclassify broadband in a way that does not challenge the current speeds offered by broadband providers. Excuse me, high speed. High speed is going to be this love letter to ISPs and carriers. Oh, you only need to be able to supply a 20 megabit upstream. We've been promised fiber since the 80s. We have paid for fiber to home several times over. And at this point, if we can't get a functional upgrade to a faster upstream, 
we need to be pushing back harder with our regulators and with our elected officials. We're falling farther and further and further behind, and there are no other options for competition in most of the markets and most of the regions across the United States. Here's what I don't think is going to fix that. I don't think satellite broadband is going to be a solution for our issues on wired and cabled services. I don't even think 5G to home is really going to be much of a fix. As I'm streaming this to you right now, I am currently using the new Verizon 5G to home. It's a good service. It really is. If I didn't want to do business with Spectrum, Verizon now has a fixed wireless option that I can use. It uses a 5G tower and it communicates to a little box in my window and it gives me broadband for our home. Um, the Wi-Fi on this little box is kind of useless because we've got to put the box somewhere where it has better line of sight for the tower. And that, unfortunately, is in the worst spot in our home to then send Wi-Fi to other devices in our home. They would need like a mesh system to, to line that up better. But I plugged an Ethernet cable into the box. It's going to my main router, which is in a much more accessible spot in our house for every gadget to have broadband. Verizon solution, though still kind of has to use the same backhaul that Spectrum is using. At some point, you can put faster and faster connections on towers, but the internet is still kind of the same. So I've got this box set up, and it's given me about the same numbers as I would get from, from Spectrum, especially the upload speeds. It'll spike as fast as 50 megabits per second. That's two and a half times faster than what I have with Spectrum. And then about nine seconds later, it pops down and just hovers at the exact same <laughs> upstream connection. So for about eight seconds, I'm living the sweet life. <laughs> and then it's the same. So right now, what I've done is my router will aggregate <laughs> So I've got two internet connections going into my router for our test drive here. I don't think I'm going to keep both. I don't know if Spectrum has angered me enough that I'm going to switch over to fixed wireless. Um, but just for the little test drive that I've got the Verizon box, it's fun. It's fun having two dedicated internet connections so that I can almost but not quite double my hilariously bad up upstream data connection. It's really, I really don't think it's going to be worth it in the long run. Um, from Maryland, I have the same thing with T-Mobile, but it wavers too much for me. So I'm taking it back today and I had to go back to Spectrum. I'm probably going to end up in the same boat, Maryland, because also we're at the whims of whatever the tower usage is going to be. And while Spectrum's network here is not great, um, it, it has sort of proven to be a little bit more reliable than the towers, but I want to put that out there where this is actually going to be really cool for a lot of those areas where you're underserved for things like DSL, you know, where your broadband options are even more, uh, sort of restricted putting up some 5g towers will probably help a lot of consumers out there. I've been very impressed with what this box can do but I'm using my home connection in a more professional way. And I kind of need something that's going to, it's going to kind of step up to that higher tier of use. Are you saying they still haven't upgraded their infrastructure to data centers to fiber? I thought it was fiber to node in the U S. So 
that's what they say. Hey folks, are you getting bored of the current collection of tech and geek commentary on the internet? Is the discussion of new electronics feeling a bit stale? Do you want to find some fresh voices to add to your subscription queue? Check out the community on r glowing rectangles on Reddit. Now, this subreddit was built to help new voices in the tech community find more audience, and we need your support. Sharing, commenting, and those precious, tasty upvotes. Reddit can radically help a content creator expand their reach. Do you know a producer who deserves more attention? Do you just want to find fun new stuff? Head on over to reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles and share or browse to your heart's content. Once again, reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles, and let's build something cool together. But while I know there is fiber literally like two blocks in that direction that I can see the neighborhoods that have fiber on our side of the hill and on our side of this street, um, I haven't seen where we can push a data connection any more reliably or any more consistently. So even if it's fiber to node, at some point, we are probably on a node that's overloaded for the housing community that we live in. So it's on node that is satisfying like all of these little banks of condos, homeowner associations, and 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 like just actual houses. And I think that's that's one of the areas where we sort of run into issues. I we cannot demonstrate, and it doesn't seem to matter what technology I'm on, I can't demonstrate any faster throughput in our specific location. If I drive a minute in any direction, I'm on a different tower, I'm on a different part of the grid, I'm on a different node, and all of a sudden I've got data. Our little chunk of the neighborhood, no data. <laughs> it's a drip, it's not a, a running faucet. So that was a really long preamble. <laughs> you didn't need to know all that for this story because the story is Amazon uh, Kuiper satellite broadband takes a big step forward despite SpaceX objections. Um, Amazon's Kuiper, oh, I'm sorry, this was written up by Liam Tung at ZDNet, their business site. Uh, Amazon's Project Kuiper has won the FCC's approval for its network of 3,200 satellites. Despite claims by SpaceX, it would introduce collision risks with the Starlink constellation. So we've got an arms race now of billionaire-backed corporations that are shooting satellites into space to offer broadband connectivity through satellite communications. This is extremely low Earth orbit uh, gadgetry that these satellites will regularly fall out of the sky. I don't see where this method of satellite broadband is really going to be sustainable because you've got to fulfill a constellation of short-lived satellites that you keep having to send rockets up into space. And we've already seen where SpaceX, uh, where, um, what is the Starlink? <laughs> Couldn't remember the SpaceX constellation name. <clears throat> where Starlink is having issues. Like what they promised customers at the price they promised customers is not going to be sustainable for that business model. And again, it seems like the big play from Elon Musk is, can we get those tasty government dollars? Because once we have government contracts fully utilizing Starlink, they the government won't let Starlink fail. They'll they'll keep funneling money no matter what happens to kind of keep that going. It's for someone who doesn't like to pay taxes and move to Texas, moved to Texas, even though he lives in California as much as he lives in Texas. Um, he really does like 
um, consuming those taxpayer dollars. And now we've got Amazon looking to kind of get into the same racket. I'm not saying that a constellation of low Earth orbit satellites can't be beneficial to help fulfill some kind of broadband connectivity, but this is not going to be the solution. I'm so tired of trying to make everything wireless. You need a cable that plugs into an address, and that is your best dedicated, consistent, reliable connection. And then from there, you can subsidize, not subsidize, you can uh, add additional wireless connectivity to help flesh out additional use cases. But it's fiber. At this point, every single time I see one of these stories, oh, we've got satellites and you're going to have satellite broadband. You know what? That's awesome. That's awesome for someone who lives in a really rural area who we can absolutely not economically fulfill rolling a cable out to their home. Awesome. That's great. Please have these as the kinds of solutions that they can really maximize and take advantage of that. That is not a mainstream broadband option. That is not a major mainstream broadband solution for all of the people that live in more densely packed areas and more, especially more urban areas. That's not the gig. So it's, uh, I'm always going to be a fan of competition. I just don't know that I care about the arms race between Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. What, What joy I have in studying like space exploration, being a Star Trek nerd growing up, I don't want our future of telecommunications and space exploration to be tied to the egos of two billionaires. I don't I don't feel like that gets us anything. It's just becoming an ego race. Uh, a a, a uh, <laughs> I can't say that without. Yeah, I was going to say something really crude. So never mind. I'm just going to drink another quick drink of coffee here and catch up on the chat. <laughs> Tech by Jermaine. That's actually pretty funny. Uh, SpaceX talking about collision risks. Come on. (laughs) Well, yes. I mean, I feel like that's an appropriate concern for SpaceX because they have enough of their own collision risks all on their own. They don't need 3,000 other satellites up around them. Oh, see, Marilyn, I'm right there with you. The neighborhood across from mine has fiber. They've been putting in fiber here for the past several years, but no go yet. And, And again, I know it's right there. (laughs) I just needed to cross over a hill, which I know is the big stumbling block. And and again, a part of this is also California zoning. I live in a very liberal, um, heavily regulated state. And I actually appreciate a lot of those regulations. I think they do provide consumer protections. I'm not a deregulation kind of guy. But man, for like 10 years, we've been talking about the impact of rolling out fiber to businesses, let alone fiber to home. And it's, it's just tough. <laughs> yeah. See, again, that's, that's the, that's the big, uh, the big hook, right? Simon, Simon says, hypno says, but the poor need our service. Please fund us to help them. Look at these broadband coverage maps that, that Comcast is lying about. We've got to give them the broadband. So, Instead of working on better zoning and rolling out cable to those affected uh, individuals and working on better like broadband co-ops that would empower them to fund their local economy or working with their power company to also roll broadband capabilities with their power lines, what we need to do is shoot rockets up into space. (laughs) 
Again, I feel like there's an easier solution if if it's the, won't someone please think of the disadvantaged people? I don't think our first solution is, what if we shot more rockets into space? <laughs> yes, Dave Burns. I, I, was, I was going for something a little ruder than what you just put up in there. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, in my tech review. Okay. So this is another one. The FCC recently started cracking down. Again, this is super, super new. We just recently talked about this a couple months ago. Um, my tech review says there is fiber on my street, but because I'm in an apartment building, they don't offer it. This is one of those you should reach out to the FCC. We are trying to crack down on the exclusivity of broadband coverage to blocks of communities. So if you're in a, an apartment building and they have an exclusive contract and they cannot offer another competing service, the FCC is trying to change the rules on that and make it not allowed that someone can just be locked into a building contract for all of their tenants on one broadband provider. It's worth making the effort. If, if we don't actually contribute to this conversation, we don't talk about net neutrality, we don't talk about broadband deployment, if we don't talk about competing technologies, the FCC is only going to get their info from the telecommunications industry. And the telecommunications industry likes to send them coverage maps that don't accurately depict what their coverage really is. <laughs> uh, Dave Burns, but Juan, that is communism. Uh-uh-uh. It's socialism. <laughs> As I get older, I'm becoming a dirty socialist, not a dirty communist. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Uh, moving right along, uh, but wrapping up both of those FCC stories. If you're having a bad experience with your current provider, send a message to the FCC. Also, if it's becoming like an issue, send an email. To, to an organ uh, to an outlet like Ars Technica, Ars Technica two weeks in a row. Ars Technica has been following up on stories about individuals who have been communicating with their broadband providers and getting stonewalled, and that both of those broadband providers have been misrepresenting their service to the FCC. That's a pretty big oopsie. But now we need to see what will the FCC do to help correct and regulate for that kind of malfeasance. I shouldn't use a word like malfeasance because I'm not a lawyer and I'm not even sure I'm using it correctly. Uh, another drink, <coughs> another drink of coffee. How about that real quick? Uh, I'm just going to be froggy all show. Apologies because apparently when I get that little like kind of crunchy in the back of my throat there, it's uh, I start like neighing like a horse. That's that's awful. All right. Um, I want to cover this one real quick too. This is just like a, it's a service that I use. We do the subreddit plug every week. Um, not a great look, but again, I, I feel like it's not surprising. I'm just disappointed. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Uh, from the official Reddit, uh, <clears throat> Reddit comment account here on our Reddit for Reddit. We had a security incident. Here's what we know. Uh, what happened? On late February 5th, 2023, we became aware of a sophisticated phishing campaign that targeted Reddit employees. As in most phishing campaigns, the attacker sent out plausible sounding prompts pointing employees to a website that cloned the behavior of our intranet gateway in an attempt to steal credentials and second factor tokens. 
After successfully obtaining a single employee's credentials, the attacker gained access to some internal docs, code, as well as some internal dashboards and business systems. We show no indications of breach of our primary production systems, the part of our stack that runs Reddit and store the majority of our data. Exposure included limited contact information for currently hundreds of company contacts and employees, as well as limited advertiser information based on several days of initial investigation by security, engineering, and data science, and friends. We have no evidence to suggest that any of your non-public data has been accessed or that Reddit's information has been published or distributed online. But just another concern, and I've already reset my Reddit passwords, that kind of stuff. I mean, I feel like this was slow disclosure, but it was appropriate disclosure. And I hope that this is an accurate representation of what the security risk looked like. But again, this is now where we play that dance of, I do a lot of stuff on Reddit. I'm not sure that they have everything locked down the way that they should. Uh, this is a good reminder. Use things like two-factor authentication. Um, and then really get in there and manage your passwords and privacy settings and all that fun stuff too. So if you're a Reddit nerd like me, I would say a little extra caution, probably do you better in the long run. Took a couple minutes. It's, it's a pain. <laughs> I hate doing it. Um, but it, it's just sort of good practice to kind of carve that stuff up and keep yourself safe. We're going to have a, an extended conversation about privacy and security and phones that steal your data and send it to China. Least you can do is keep your Reddit password locked down. <laughs> and yes, uh, Dave Burns, this is, this is the excellent recommendation that we can always throw in the chat at the end of any one of these articles. Uh, Dave Burns says, everyone should check out Shannon Morse. Uh, she snubs at S-N-U-B-S, I believe, on uh, on Twitter. But she is legit. She is a security expert. And she gives excellent advice on protecting your, your data and your services. And uh, always, always highly recommend giving her a follow across the socials and, and on the YouTubes, even though she scaled back some of her uh, YouTube activity. Uh, <clears throat> one more uh, news story, and we'll be wrapping up the, the news block here, even though I got a little rambly. We'll be wrapping it up right on time. That's great. Okay, so uh, this is coming by way of Reuters from Fu Yun Chi. Uh, that's the byline on this. Twitter gets EU yellow card for disinformation reporting effort. Uh, coming out of Brussels, Elon Musk's Twitter was hit with a yellow card from the European Commission on Thursday as it reported efforts to tackle disinformation fell short of those by Alphabet, Meta, and Microsoft, and TikTok. The companies presented progress reports on compliance with a beefed-up European Union EU code of practice on disinformation in the last six months. The reports included data on how much advertising revenue the companies had averted from disinformation actors the number or value of political adver advertisements accepted or rejected, and instances of manipulative behaviors detected. The EU, the European Commission, sorry, the European Commission last year linked the code to new online content rules known as the Digital Services Act, which allows regulators to fine companies as much as 6% of their global turnover for breaches. Commission Vice President for Values and Transparency, Vera Jwar 
Verova, I don't know how to say Vera's last name, I apologize, singled out Twitter for criticism. I am disappointed to see that Twitter's report lags behind others, and I expect a more serious commitment to their obligations stemming from the code. I'm not one to be overly punitive or like, hey, I'm going to kick a guy while he's down. But I really feel like a lot of the stress posts and seeking support and consolence and, and oh, it's just people could be nicer on social media coming from Elon Musk is hilarious because Elon Musk is like the number one poop poster, right? He never walks into conversations with any kind of earnest attempt at communication or being able to change his mind. He always goes in there with trolling. And now he's just so distraught and people are being mean to him in these last couple months, guys. They've just been so difficult. They've just been so hard. I'm not a schadenfreude kind of guy. I feel kind of sick sometimes when you get a visceral thrill out of watching something bad happen to someone, even if it's someone that I don't like. But this one is kind of a unique case where he brought it on himself in such a big way and he's having such difficulties keeping advertisers on board. His monetization schemes sound ridiculous. There's like a new story out just this morning about um, access to like scientific study is going to be like a hundred dollar API. <laughs> like that's that's stupid. That's really stupid. No one's going to pay a hundred dollars to like sample information on trends on Twitter, especially now that it's become such a bot army. He's already not making enough money. The banks are going to cave because his interest payments aren't going to be met, at least not with the revenue that Twitter is currently generating. Twitter Blue is only, I think, only a couple hundred thousand people are signed on on Twitter Blue. Like, it's, it's not a good look. And man, how great would it be if all of this new revenue from activating, reactivating accounts of people who purposely spread bad information on Twitter, hit them for a 6% of their global turnover through the EU. Again, now would be the right time to make a bit of a statement. And I feel Twitter is the perfect example <laughs> to set for these other companies. Hey, we know Twitter can't even pay us. <laughs> so let's really make sure they understand how bad a business strategy this is. Oh, but we're reactivating the counts for these people because free speech. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. That's not how free speech works, especially for a private institution, a private corporation. That, that's, not, that's not what this is. And so if you're going to spread information that hurts people and you're going to wage these misinformation campaigns and you're going to make money on that business practice, that's fine. Here's a fine for 6%. <laughs> Do it. I want to see that so bad. It just kills me. I really loved Twitter and now I really hate it. And uh, it sucks. It really sucks. I mean, it, Elon Musk could have left well enough alone and Twitter could have plotted along. It is this weird, like, short form texting odd duck of a social media service that was profitable it just wasn't insanely profitable and elon musk burned it all to the ground yeah i want to see this fine i want to see it i want it so bad <sighs> yeah in tech by germain and i just heard that in code 
there is a possible future if you aren't using Twitter Blue. Five tweets per day and one image or video per day unless you pay. And apparently that accidentally got kicked on. One of the members on our Discord got a notice saying, you've tweeted too much today. And then a number of other people said that they got that too. And then Twitter kind of came out like, oh, no, that was... Just a weird mistake. We don't know how that happened. Uh, it's just a bummer. Okay, don't worry. We fixed it. Totally coming. It's totally coming. I want it. I want that. Do the do do this, please. Just like with Netflix kind of burning bridges with their premium customers to try and just rack up higher subscriber numbers. Do this, Twitter. Show us. I can't wait for it. It's going to be delicious watching more and more of the infrastructure for fun entertainment Twitter just get crushed under the vice grip of terrible business practices. Do it. Do it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is coming. I want it now, though. I just ripped the Band-Aid off. Just do it. <laughs> again i don't want to be that guy but it's just so gross what's happening with this and and i loved i loved twitter i loved what you could turn twitter into i took the effort to cultivate my twitter now it's just a raging dumpster fire ah <laughs> dt anil I, I feel like you hit the nail on the head there buddy because again i'm the dirty socialist uh, Aditya says, apparently if we leave capitalism left unchecked for long enough, it'll just burn itself to the ground. And that would be fine if it was just capitalism. But it'll burn itself to the ground, taking all of us with it. And that's where I feel, hey, you know what? Just that little ounce of prevention uh, could have stopped all this. If you just listened to us and not let this happen, we'd all be happier. But... So anyway, um, speaking of social media and all this other stuff... And we just recently had a, a breach on this social media platform, this social sharing news platform. Uh, I'd still appreciate you checking out the uh, the amazing work over on reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles. Where is my screen share? There it goes. <laughs> it took me an extra second to go back into screen share. I had just clicked this button. I don't know if you know this, but like hosting a podcast while you produce and manage a podcast is surprisingly hard. Uh, Reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles. The top post of the week. A number one with a bullet from OKTrain4119. I've had my V60 for a little over a month now, so I'd like to show off my on-the-go setup with you all. And here's a V60. And then uh, he's got some other photos with the products that he's paired with his V60, including uh, batteries, Bluetooth keyboard and mice, uh, a portable display, uh, the Wacom, the Bamboo Stylus, and he puts it all together. I'm sorry, they put it all together. I don't know if OK Train is male or female. They put it all together, and there's the V60 as a portable computer power station, and it's it's delightful. It really is a beautiful representation of a phone that is uh, incredibly, incredibly uh, underrated by a lot of the tech community. This, this phone was the last feature-complete flagship phone, and it's just really lovely to see that people are still kind of playing around with the V60 and pushing it to its limits. Like, I've got a V60, and now 
it's a full computer with a keyboard and a mouse and I've got earbuds and I've got a battery for it and a monitor and it's awesome. Onscon! Hey, what's up? It's me. And yes, I am a he. <laughs> okay, good. I, I didn't want to get get the wrong pronoun on you there, but I really enjoyed this post. Onscon in the chat right now. Number one post on Reddit this week. Reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles. I need some help. What I what I would love to do, and I don't think I can do this internationally. I'm not sure I can really make this work, but it would be really lovely if I could come up with like a sticker. I had the number one post on glowing rectangles. I don't know what that sticker, like how to make that sticker look cool. Or maybe it's a button and you can wear your button. Like, oh, I have the number one post. And I could just have like a vest of all the times that I've had the number one. This week was really heavy for a good spread of content. The number two post was the Lewis Rossman. Um, I, I shared it, but it's the Lewis Rossman video about Samsung astroturfing on Reddit. They're really desperate for positive buzz on the S23, and they're all over Reddit um, hosting uh, AMAs and then not answering questions from real people in the AMA. Uh, and then the number three. So rounding out the top three, Apple fanboy worrying Apple's becoming a, stan, a, a scam, hilarious video uh, from Sam Time shared by JWL uh, two days ago. So we had a really good week on the subreddit this week. There was some uh, Galaxy S23 coverage. There was some Apple coverage. Um, quite a few OnePlus videos made it to the top. My roundup of videos, that, was, uh, that did pretty decently well. Lots, lots of coverage. Reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles. If you would like a broader tech discussion than what the YouTube algorithm serves you, Go check it, click a couple up arrows, and you'll make someone's day. The top voted, the top upvoted post was someone showing off an advanced use case scenario on a phone that's three years old now. If you have a three-year-old phone, you have a remarkably powerful computer in your pocket still. And you can show off some really cool stuff. So uh, reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles. Tell them Juan sent you, because I'm the mod, the main mod there. So I'll, I'll know that it's me that I sent you to go there because I told you to tell me that I told you to tell me that I told you to go. That made more sense in my brain. <laughs> it didn't really work. All right. So I'm <laughs> getting into the gadget block. <laughs> oh, yeah. Onscon, you did it, man. Onscon says, oh, wow, one little guy with a V60 post beat both a Samsung and an Apple post. Hell yeah. You did good. You did real good. Again, I feel there's more value in really practically demonstrating, like, there's stuff you can do. Anytime I see a Geekbench or an Antu 2 score, I'm like, yeah, whatever. But then someone says, like, oh, but this phone can do things. And you're like, all right, that's fine. Show me. And now here's someone just showing a couple photos. Like, it's not that hard. A little Bluetooth keyboard and mouse and a portable display computer you have a computer and you can listen to me because i've got all this tech and stuff so it doesn't always land the same because i've been showing off you know uh, affordable accessories and expensive accessories and and i feel like that message is a little bit more difficult to get out of a channel like mine because you can literally just look at the bookshelf behind me and see stuff and you probably don't have access to as much stuff as I do. But like when I say, hey, you pick up an inexpensive portable monitor and a keyboard and this works, 
someone is demonstrating that right now. And I feel that's really accessible. Like, I feel like that really helps uh, conceptualize what this process looks like because it's not hard. It is very easy to get this done and to do it well. So, Ownscon, you did great. And I really appreciate the contribution on there because I feel like those are the types of, of um, real grassroots kinds of uh, posts that kind of help get this point across. I mean, we've got Samsung astroturfing. Oh, the S23 is so great and you should buy the Ultra. And you're like, yeah, but that's fake. Here's someone who really took the photos themselves and said, look, no, I'm doing it. And it, and it works awesome. Uh, do, 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 get this out of the way here. Okay, so um, it's 10.04 in the a.m. My voice will not last for uh, an over two-hour podcast. So I I'm going to really try and divide up our gadget block here. And I, I do. Uh, if anyone has questions or you want to talk about OnePlus 11 or Vivo or Poco, man, this Poco has been so much fun. So much fun for 300 euro. It's rocking my socks. Um, and any of the other phones too, because like, if you want to talk like Aiku versus OnePlus, I've, I've got all these phones here ready to go. I, again, it's, it's an excellent problem for me to have that on my desk is way too much stuff. <laughs> it's super fun. And I want to play more, I want to spend more time with it. Um, but I want us to start off the gadget block getting, we have to, we have to talk about this. We have to cover this. Um, uh, uh, a study came out recently talking about the spyware that's pre-installed on Chinese phones, listed specifically OnePlus, Oppo, and Xiaomi phones. The study is looking at the data transmission behavior of different apps installed on those three brands. The study draws very specific conclusions. And most of the articles that I've seen on this study ignore the conclusions, but talk about sort of the intro and the sort of, uh, the, the, I mean, literally just the title of the study. I'm not going to call out specific articles, but there's one um, uh, as close as they might get. I'm going to read a part of an article here. An important part of the research highlights that the research was conducted on mobile devices that were sold in China, which automatically exempts the international consumers of the same devices. But considering it has happened before, we wouldn't be surprised if international variants of these phones are sharing the same fate. Isn't that scary? In the chat right now, drop a one in the chat if you're scared. OnePlus was mentioned in this study as stealing your data and sending it off to China. And... And isn't that concerning? Now, now, should we recommend OnePlus phones? That's a question. That's a question I can put in the, in the title of a video or in the title of an article. Uh, is OnePlus stealing your data? Are they? D do you know? What about you? Do you know is OnePlus stealing your data? Are, are you afraid? Are you concerned? I'm concerned. Did they concern? Did, does this concern you? Because it concerns me. Are, we got to know what's going on with it. If only there was some way to know what the differences might have been between an international version of a Realme or an Oppo or a OnePlus and a Chinese version of one of those phones. I just, it, it's just such a shame that something like that doesn't exist, except for the fact that in the study, 
that exact thing exists. <laughs> That's the whole point of the study. The study is called Android OS Privacy Under the Loop, A Tale from the East. <laughs> so I've got a link to the PDF in the show notes this week. Just read the study. The study examines all of that pearl-clutching, so concerned, are Chinese phones stealing our data moments? It's in the study. The study draws the conclusions for people who are shopping Chinese manufactured phones that are being provisioned, that have specific differences in software, and, be, and being distributed to other regions around the globe, especially a phone that's destined for Europe, where it would have to comply with GDPR and other consumer protection regulations for how the data on that phone is being managed. I, bring, I brought this up a lot because I, I play with a couple imports. I usually try to stick to international flavors of phones. So for example, I have the international flavor of the Vivo X90 Pro. I do not have the Chinese only version of the X90 Pro Plus. I do have the Chinese version of the Xiaomi 12S Ultra because this phone did not get an international release and I really wanted to play with the one inch camera sensor, but I don't put a lot of my personal data on this phone. I don't log into a lot of accounts. I shoot really fun photos with this and then I send it to other phones that then do the uploading and the sharing and the social media. I don't have the same kinds of concerns using the Vivo X90 Pro because this is a phone that was built for an international market, specifically a European one. Actually, no, I think this was specifically built for an Indian market. I might have that wrong. But regardless, I have provisioned it as a phone to be operated in the United States. So my data security privacy policy and the terms of service that I agree to are going to be a little different than if this had been a Chinese model phone sold to the Chinese market and then just sent to me here in the United States. That nuance matters a lot. <laughs> just a quick interjection here, folks. I love highlighting good work and talented people, producers and writers who deserve more attention. So here's a quick word from someone making cool stuff on the internet, and I hope you check out what they have to offer. Thanks, Juan Carlos, for allowing me to be part of your show. And um, I want to introduce myself to you guys. My name is TK Bay, and I've been doing YouTube for quite some time, almost 10 years now. And you can find me online by just looking for TK Bay either on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, but the general consensus is uh, I'm a tech reviewer. I provide a, an interesting way of approaching tech by uh, the same way you would actually go ask your friend for help. This is generally the consensus of how my channel runs. Um, I review anything from Android, iOS, uh, PC computers, scooters, um, basically, you know, drones, anything that you think of as consumer tech, I generally try to get my hands on it and share with you guys my opinions. And of course, any troubleshooting or even tips and tricks that can help you enjoy your tech even better. Uh, again, thank you very much to Juan Carlos. But if you'd like to check me out, just look for at TKDSL8655 on Instagram and Twitter or TKBay in YouTube. So I want to get into this here real quick. Hold on, I've got to find it. I, I changed the, you remember the beginning of the podcast where I changed my browser size to fit the stream better and now I've lost my place in this article. I had it set up. Okay, so here, let me go back into screen share. I think I've got 
the part of the paragraph that I'm looking for. Um, combined, so this, this is talking about personally identifiable information, abbreviated in the study as PII. Um, combined, this information poses serious risks of user de-anonymization and extensive tracking, particularly since in China, every phone number is registered under a citizen ID. Moreover, the data collection behaviors do not change when the device the, the, when the devices move outside of China, despite potentially being under jurisdictions where users should benefit from stronger data protection, meaning that phone vendors and some third parties are still able to track business travelers and students studying abroad, including the foreign contacts that make the foreign contacts they make on their visits. <clears throat> and this is the part that I love because remember we had all that pearl clutching. But what if it's happening on other phones and not just Chinese-sold phones? Well, in the introduction to the study, we have, finally, we perform a cross-regional analysis and compare the pre-installed system apps on the Chinese and global Android OS distributions from the same OS developers. We find that the number of pre-installed third-party apps on Chinese OS distributions is three to four times larger than for the corresponding global OS distribution, and that these are given eight to 10 times as many permissions as third-party apps in global distributions, including many more permissions classed as dangerous. You don't even need to read the study. In the introduction to the study, they give you some of the conclusion which is a Chinese operating system flashed phone is going to have eight to 10 times as many permissions granted out of the box as the global distribution versions of those phones. This study is incredibly helpful. This study really illustrates two critical ideas. I put up two hands, both holding two fingers. It's not four ideas. It's two incredibly important ideas. If you have family or friends who are concerned about their data behavior being tracked in China, they are not safe from that kind of data tracking and identifying personal information, personally identifiable information when they leave China. Whatever they do on their phone has to be the same if they're in another region of the world, unless they get a different phone when they're in a different region. That data security matters. That is an important idea to extend and to make sure that people understand like, hey, if you're traveling to you know Europe, if you're still using the same phone that you have in China, these apps and services are going to still link your behavior to the accounts and services on your phone, and that can be very easily identified as you. It's very easy to identify you on a Chinese phone with these services. If you're concerned about how you interact online, it is in your interest to get a local phone and a local SIM when you travel internationally. That is the crux of this study. The study is always the study mentions we always talk about the data security and the data privacy on smartphones, but almost always through the lens of European behavior. When we look at how Chinese phones operate, handle your information, and whether that information can fingerprint you digitally, 
that is a critical idea to extend. I, I believe China just recently initiated a sort of, excuse me, man, coffee burps are the worst. They just recently initiated a sort of data privacy regulation that is similar to the GDPR in the EU. But that's also an issue where are the companies responsible for the services on your phone actually complying with the Chinese version of GDPR? And in this study right now, with devices that I believe are one or two years old, it would seem that no, the services that are pre-installed on your phone are not complying with a GDPR style regulation. That is a big concern for Chinese citizens who buy Chinese phones with Chinese operating systems to use Chinese services in China and globally. Okay, that's fair. And we should absolutely be concerned for the sake, for the well-being of those people who fit that criteria. The second really critical part of the study, though, shows that when we initiate better regulatory action over consumer privacy and consumer security, it does have a positive impact on phones sold in other regions. A OnePlus phone with OnePlus global software being sent to the EU has to comply with local regulations as to how your data is, is being managed and apparently has 10 times fewer dangerous permissions, has four times smaller <laughs> pre-installed dangerous software, four times less, uh, or quarter. It has a quarter of the pre-installed software of a Chinese distributed phone. And the reason why this also bothers me is because this study is just the first step. What we need to see next, how does an iPhone behave when it's sold in a Chinese market? How does a Galaxy behave when it's sold in a Chinese market? Do Samsung and Apple comply with local regulations? Apple doesn't typically put on a lot of bloat. They, they won't let companies just pre-install a bunch of software on their phones, but how does it handle? consumer privacy, consumer data. What about a Samsung device? Do Chinese imaged Galaxy phones perform the same as Realme when it comes to handling Chinese citizen data? And that's the next step. That's like, so now that we have this data from this study, which has done an, an incredible job of detailing how this information is being parsed and sent, and they've got little buckets to contain and what apps might be problematic, that's awesome. But if we're going to get out of the xenophobia of Chinese phone bad because China steal your data, we also need to see our other manufacturers doing the same thing. <laughs> we need to see, is Samsung playing a similar game? Because they're also looking at the financial incentive of having these apps and services. There's a monetary value applied to all of this. When one of the major permissions that can be somewhat dangerous from a threat or a risk assessment of something like WeChat does it matter if WeChat is on a OnePlus or if WeChat is on a Galaxy or if WeChat is on an iPhone? I don't know that there is a tangible difference if the service is the one that is responsible for some of these concerning elements. So I just want to get to the conclusion here. The conclusion is really short um, because, oh, you know what? Let me uh, screen share again because there is a lot of information and there's a lot of data in the study. I would recommend paging through some of it because they do have listed like these are some of the APKs that are pre-installed and are granted permissions when you have a Chinese phone 
sold in China. And that does kind of vibe with some of my experiences where I get certain prompts on my Galaxy, I get certain prompts on my Xiaomi 12S Ultra. No, let me reverse that. I got certain prompts on my Xiaomi 12T that I did not get on my 12S Ultra. And it's always been a, a consistent thing for me where I don't like how Xiaomi builds some of its price into a model where your behavior does make its way back to Xiaomi servers. For example, I always bring this up as the example is like, I open up the calculator app on a Xiaomi 12T and I get a pop-up saying, oh, but we're gonna track some of your behavior. And you're like, you don't need, there's nothing data intensive. A data connection is not gonna improve my experience on the calculator ever. You don't need that information. That's, that's not a thing. I feel like that is the disclosure of the terms of service that it, that is demanded by our FTC. So our FTC says, you've got to tell the user what's going on. So then if you click OK and you use the Xiaomi calculator, you're sending that information to Xiaomi. I feel we need better consumer educations on some of those business practices. But what the study is talking about is when you take your phone out of the box and you set it up fresh, what apps are automatically given permissions on your device? And that's where there is a fundamental difference between the Chinese OS versions of these phones and the global OS versions of these phones. But but scan through this study. I mean, look through some of this. They're talking about what the, the ethical ramifications of this are, what the threat models are, the, the setup, how they're conducting this test where they're uh, trying to create these little like uh, analysis pockets where they can see what information is being sent. None of this is a mystery. If you ever encounter a tech article that's like, oh, but what might be happening? Well, there's a way to test it. <laughs> it's not magic. You can analyze the information that goes into and out of a computer and you can assess what the threat of that might be. It's better if you have researchers that are security experts that can kind of fine tooth go through logs and system stats so that you know what this is. But it's not an unknown especially for tech blogs, they should not be reacting to the headlines of other OnePlus is stealing your data. Isn't that scary? Because that is absolutely not what the final conclusion of this study is. So, and it wasn't the point of the, the it wasn't the focus of the testing either. The focus was what do Chinese phones do for the data of Chinese citizens? And how is that different so, you know, they, they've got breakdowns like, look, the Chinese regional models between Redmi, OnePlus and Realme, they didn't even have a OnePlus global version in this study. Um, but they're looking at the installed APKs. They're looking at the permissions. They're looking at um, uh, the different uh, numbers of, of apps installed. Uh, they've got listed some of the more uh, problematic permissions that are pre uh, pre-approved. But then you go through and you look at the apps that are installed. Tencent, uh, Dropbox X, Tencent, Tencent. Uh, I don't know what Finchell Wallet is. AMAP, Tencent. I think one of these is a WeChat app, but I'm missing the actual APK install. But anyway, you, you can go through and you can see, hey, on this Realme, it had all of these permissions associated with this app and all of these permissions and all of these permissions and all of these permissions. Are you using Tencent Wallet? Well, then maybe you should be concerned. <laughs> so let me just kind of scroll down. And again, 
this is some really good stuff. Uh, but you don't even have to go through all these flowcharts. I, I, I believe their their data and their sources are also pretty good too. Um, but here, let me get it on the on the screen so you can see. <clears throat> to spoil the ending of this study, you know, spoilers, if you want to skip the spoilers, go to this time code. Uh, hold on, let me just highlight that. The conclusion is short and sweet. In this work, we studied the Chinese version of the Android OS distributions run by Xiaomi, Realme, and OnePlus handsets. We measure the network traffic the handsets generate when in use by a privacy-aware consumer. We find that these devices come bundled with a number of third-party applications, some of which are granted dangerous runtime permissions by default without user consent, and transmit traffic containing a broad range of geolocation, user profile, and social relationship PII to both phone vendors and third-party domains, without notifying the user or offering the choice to opt out. In contrast, the data shared by the global version of the firmware is mostly limited to device-specific information. Our study therefore highlights major differences in terms of how privacy provisions are enforced in different regions. I feel this is very clear. I feel there's little ambiguity as to the functional practical differences of phones sold for Chinese distribution versus the rest of the world. So if you catch a tech blog that's trying to make OnePlus sound scary, or are they doing this? The answer is no. <laughs> I, I, I feel like there, there are some fair criticisms. You get a Samsung phone and it's got these Microsoft services and some of the setup can be a little confusing if you're signing in for the Samsung experience. There are some major consumer um, education points that need to be addressed. Apple. Security researchers have been looking at the amount of information that Apple fingerprints on your device that technically isn't being tracked. But if you go into an iPhone and you say, do not track my data, Apple apps and services are still accruing a substantial amount of information on everything you do on their phone, and they're using that to fuel their growing ad market. So Apple is really interested in serving up ads. They're really interested in making that money. Their own apps bypass the app developer guidelines that they would fault other app developers for uh, transgressing. Apple is playing by a different set of rules on their own apps, and they're fingerprinting your data pretty heavily for a company that's talking about like not making you the product and not selling off your information. They're making a lot of money on selling off your behavior on your device to a degree that if someone really got in there, they probably could start identifying users based on the amount of information that's being tracked. iPhones are now becoming a pretty substantial force in this type of user behavior, advertising, financial model. Just knee-jerk reacting to all of this. To go out there and say like, oh, but there's a problem. Without just going to the conclusion of the study, the conclusion of the study is one long paragraph. I, I know we have difficulty in, in, our, in our field with like user retention. <laughs> I know some people like, really have a hard time 
lasting more than 30 seconds through a YouTube short to get to a piece of information. Totally appreciate that. But if you can make it to the last line of this conclusion, our study therefore highlights major differences in terms of how privacy provisions are enforced in different regions. And you walk away from that going, oh, but what about, but what if? What if OnePlus is doing something sneaky with your data? Then I feel you are a lost cause. <laughs> I feel you are beyond being saved. If you're just going to dig in your heels, where I, I was in a conversation with someone on, on YouTube but what about this? And what are your thoughts on this one? And, and again, it always comes with that like confrontation. I need you to defend your positive review of a OnePlus because I saw an article that OnePlus was stealing all my data. And you're like, well, I don't think you read the article. And if you did read the article, you definitely didn't read the study because the study points to a trend in our data privacy and data security policies that seems to be working. Do we need to refine? Absolutely. I, I would love to see legislation and regulation go against the sort of background fingerprinting that Apple does. I would love to see, because I do believe some of the people saying, hey, I, I, I was using a OnePlus 11 embargo and it set up a couple apps and services and I don't remember giving it permission to use this information. I actually do believe that early consumer software might have been leaning on the more Chinese version of how these services are employed on your phone. I don't believe that that's going to be as serious a consumer uh, concern once the global version of the OnePlus phones start shipping. But it's fair to criticize those business practices and to draw light to them. I would like to make sure that those business practices internationally are sort of being compared equivalently to Samsung products and Oppo and Xiaomi and Realme and, and Apple and all of these other companies. Do I believe that there is fundamentally more risk on a OnePlus? No. But this is a huge consumer education point. This is a huge opportunity to teach people out of what this study has to offer. And then the second part of this, which is more important to Chinese audiences that might not have access to the study, is to say, hey, just... If you're concerned about what you say or do in China, you should also be concerned what you say or do on your phone when you're out of China, that that data all still is managed not through the local regulations, but through the security policies and the app permissions that are already granted on your device. And that I feel is a fair concern too. That has nothing to do with someone in Germany buying a OnePlus phone. Has nothing to do with someone in France Buying a Realme has nothing to do with someone in the UK picking up a Poco. That is a different situation based on those regional regulations and those regional rules. So the most frustrating aspect of all of this is just, it kind of starts reeking of that little bit of xenophobia. I, I feel like geopolitically, there's a lot of messy stuff that we've got to wrap our feelings around how you choose to support a business or where you want to spend your money. But if you're going to misrepresent what a study is talking about so that you can kind of fulfill the bias of an audience to say one plus bad because China, then I feel you are not doing a good job of being a tech citizen. I don't feel you are joining this conversation in earnest to educate. And I feel this is just confirmation bias in a very Fox news kind of way. If you're, if your publication, if you want your publication to not stand for that kind of, 
um, rigging of media, that kind of uh, posturing of feelings over data, then accurately report on what the study delivers. And from there, we can also talk about those ways that we can make our regulations even better for consumer protections. There are absolutely holes in how our regulations protect consumers, but we won't get there if you're misrepresenting what the study actually said. We won't get to the good stuff of improving this further if we're pretending that there is something nefarious happening just because OnePlus was mentioned in this study and you didn't look at what region the OnePlus was built for. It's frustrating. I'm kind of preaching to the choir here because like I said, and I've said in numerous other episodes of this podcast, I feel like my audience is a bit more thoughtful. I feel like my audience kind of gets a bit of that nuance. <laughs> the nuance matters, the, the, fine, the fine details, the fine points the differences are pretty profound. You can say one thing and then it takes but two sentences in the actual study to completely illuminate what the possible risk or the potential risk might be versus an, an article. Like I read a quote of one of those other blogs, but it's happened in the past. Has it? I don't believe this style of data trafficking has ever happened in the history of OnePlus phones. We've had security breaches. We've had payment breaches. Uh, there was personal identifying information uploaded to a server, I believe around the era of the OnePlus 6. Someone please correct me. Uh, OnePlus was, was caught, uh, they weren't properly uh, protecting or encrypting their servers. And so if someone had compromised OnePlus's network, they would have had access to personal identifying information on OnePlus users. But it wasn't what this article is talking about when it comes to Chinese services, fingerprinting and blueprinting and identifying all of your user behavior on the device. I don't believe OnePlus has ever been tagged with a data scandal to that degree for their internationally distributed phones. So if you see an article that's like, oh, but OnePlus has done some bad things. Samsung Pay had to uh, add language into the Samsung Pay app because California has a different regulation on disclosing financial motivations of data trafficking. So if you had a Samsung phone, and I believe this is around the Galaxy S9, if you had a Samsung phone and you use Samsung Pay, there was an extra disclosure on Samsung Pay talking about how they were using your data to profit off of your behavior and to sell your information to advertisers and partners on Samsung Pay. And that disclosure wouldn't have come without California forcing that through our state legislature as an additional consumer protection. So let's be real upset about a OnePlus, but like, no, when Samsung does it, it's pretty much fine. When Apple is was is fingerprinting all of your data and is engaged in data uh, tracking to a degree that they won't let any other app developer on their network do the same thing, I feel like that's a bigger deal. I feel like that's a bigger story. But of course, in the United States, we've got a knee jerk because China. And that I think is a really bad look for techies. I feel we techies should be better than that. <laughs> Dave Burns, speak for yourself. I'm a moron. <laughs>
No, I know because like I'm gonna put this out here. I'm actually I think I might clip some of this and put it up as a separate video on YouTube. And I guarantee you, I'm gonna have people that aren't gonna listen to the to what I say in this video. They're not gonna have watched this podcast. They're not gonna have read through any part of the study, but their feelings were confirmed by the headline that they saw on Twitter, and they're gonna go out there and say, Oh, but Juan, you're just defending an indefensible business practice. And you're like, you're a lost cause. You cannot be saved. You're digging in your heels because you feel a certain way. You're refusing ingesting new information. And there's nothing I can do to help you with that. There are things we really need to fix. We cannot fix those things if we're making up problems that don't exist. This is a problem I don't really feel exists in the way that people are trying to make it sound. And so now we've expended all of this energy being outraged by the potential threat of something that isn't really a problem. Instead of saying, how can we make these regulations better? How can we enforce these better? And how can we better provide tools that consumers can really use? Because disclosures are not enough. You're setting up your new phone and you're hit with splash screen after splash screen after splash screen. And do you agree to these terms and services? And what am I checking? And oh, Google location, I guess, because I use Google Maps. I guess that's what I want. But the Samsung experience and Bixby and what what else are they going to be doing on this? You know what? I just need to get into my phone. I just bought this new phone. I want to have fun with the phone. That's not good enough. We need to do better. We need to do better than that. It's, it's, it's really a bummer. Let's check out some of these comments. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> sore hunter so Juan will you still bait those guys I, I, it's not even baiting if, if I just cut a part of this podcast and put it up on YouTube literally just putting like OnePlus and stealing data or Chinese phone stealing your data or something like that if I just name the video appropriately I'm just gonna get the same people that reacted to the headline that because the title of this article also tells you a different story. Think about all of the headlines that you've seen talking about this study. Is OnePlus stealing your data? Are Chinese phones trafficking your data? Android OS privacy under the loop, a tale from the East. The name of the study indicates we're talking about Eastern phones, like phones from China. Now, I actually feel kind of bad because a tale from the East could also suggest phones from Japan, phones from India, phones from Eastern Russia. Like, so again, I feel like there was a certain focus, but in the title of the article, I mean, sorry, in the title of the study, you immediately already have a different sense of what data is going to be communicated than any of the article headlines that I've seen talking about Chinese phones stealing or hacking your data. Because Chinese manufactured phones, that doesn't mean anything. What matters is where the phone is going to be sold and distributed. Every single article headline you see that isn't talking about Chinese distributed phones or phones sold for Chinese citizens in China, that's clumsy. You're not going to want to read that. That has nuance and that has a distinct educational value. So instead, let's just make something that's kind of outrage inducing and clickbaity and just talk about how, oh, Xiaomi is, is evil. <laughs> that's not the point. <laughs> Dave Burns. 
<laughs> South Korea doesn't make phones. They're not Eastern. <laughs> oh, Gormlord. I only buy American-made Ford phones. I do kind of wish we had someone that was looking at, like, I would pay a lot of money for an American-manufactured phone just to see, like, what would that look like? I think that would be kind of cool. Yeah, Kappa Cash. I, I, I'm again. It's it's a it's a slippery slope of whataboutism. Someone else was saying, "Hey, I don't want to get into that," but like, if we're not judging these companies comparably, like, what are we doing? If if a reviewer is like, "Oh, but you know, this is a real concern on a OnePlus," but I guess Samsung's fine, then we're not really serving any benefit to our viewers. We're not serving any benefit to our readers. We're only confirma confirmation bias machines. And that's Fox News. You're coming to us because we'll tell you what you already think you know and want to hear. And that's not a good way to be. That There is no credibility there. It's just, but what are your feels? Can we make more money if you click on our links more? Yeah. So then we'll just keep telling you what you think you already know. And then you get an entirely miseducated or undereducated uh, consumer base. Sorry, Kappa Cash wrote, techies will still make anything out of China bad because Apple and Samsung is always gooder. And it, I, I think that's a real bad look. Yeah, snorkel made me sad. The original Moto X was assembled in the USA that lasted about two years. Oh, was the X2? I'm gonna have to take a look because I don't have the original Moto X. I only kept my X2 because I did a custom. I did the Moto Maker for my X2. I need to take a look at that. Uh, I wonder if that one was assembled in the USA too. <laughs> yeah, old Trev, exactly. Back when I had an Axon 7, my Chinese friend was looking at me sideways and talking about can't trust Chinese devices. And do you know what? What's totally fair. I want to play that game, Trev. You know what's totally fair is before the implementation of the stricter European rules on consumer privacy and data security, that might have been accurate. I don't know. I really don't. Would the would the apps and software and pre-installed uh, skin and software, would that have been a bigger threat? And really what we needed was this kind of study conducted back then to say, this is a global ROM. We don't have consumer protection regulation. Is this phone sending copious amounts of information out to Chinese servers? And I don't know. I don't know what that would have looked like. And I don't believe we saw as much data trafficking as the fear mongering would lead us to believe. Because then after a point, you also just need better services. And if your servers are all in China and you've got people using the Axon 7 in the United States and Canada, the better experience is to set up servers in the United States and Canada. Now, that's not to say that those servers couldn't then send the data back to China and you kind of just have to follow the spider web of how information is stored and distributed. But I don't think it likely that they would have built such an extreme infrastructure to try and do that. Not when here in the United States now, you can just install TikTok and TikTok will scrape all the information off of your phone and send it to a server that we can't really properly regulate. <laughs> I'm I'm way behind on all this chat, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try and catch up on a little bit now. 
Uh, snorkel, look now at the U.S. where any number of states are trying to institute bans on Chinese or other companies and even citizens who might be here with full residency from buying homes and land. It's tough. It's tough. I, I mean, because I feel like you make a law and a law becomes this broadsword action. A lot of these issues need scalpel responses. So the fear for something like real estate is Chinese firms holding a ton of American real estate and then people who want to buy homes or even want to rent homes aren't able to at fair prices because artificial influences have raised the price of real estate. So you make a law. You say, hey, if you're a Chinese multinational corporation, you can't just sit on American property. And because we know that part of the buying practice is someone going to the United States as an individual buys this property and then it kind of gets folded up into this portfolio for a Chinese corporation, we now need to put a law restricting that behavior. But then someone who is a legitimate Chinese individual who just wants to own a house in the United States is impacted by that, right? So the law serves one kind of consumer protection, but it's a blunt, dull instrument that then is wielded against another individual, and that's unfair. That's not fair. But unfortunately, our current system of government and, and uh, our legislatures, we haven't really found a better system to try and craft more nimble regulations on how this business practice can be conducted, and we haven't found a better way to institute smaller impact kinds of behavior changing laws or regulations. So there's always a counterbalance. Coming up with a new law or coming up with a new regulation is going to hurt someone else in a different way that's unforeseen. And so the evolution is, hey, we just came up with this new privacy security policy. Oh, it messed up a whole bunch of people over here. Okay, how do we refine the regulation so that we still have the core protection, but these people aren't adversely affected by it? And then you just keep that going with that process. Every new addition to our legal code or to a, a law or to a bill or to a regulation has unforeseen consequences. And that's, that's why I like this audience is we have to be able to delve into that kind of nuance to figure out how, how, do, how do we get to a result where we're doing the least amount of harm. Hey, podcast listeners, I work really hard to find mutually beneficial ways to support production on my various distribution platforms. Instead of just running ads on this podcast and hoping they don't annoy you, I want to find products or services that you really will get something out of and that can help fund my production. While I do talk about some of those items in ads throughout this podcast, I've never created one easy-to-view master list of my current partnerships until now. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. If you'd like to help contribute, support production of this podcast and my various videos and reviews, head on over to SomeGadgetGuy.com. At the top, there's going to be a link for Support Some Gadget Guy, and you can see what my current partnerships are. At the time this podcast was recorded, in addition to my Patreon, we can hook you up with a $10 voucher for shopping a new OnePlus, save 20% on some one more headphones, sign you up for Google Fi service, Amazon affiliate links, Audible, or you can grab a Mega Pickle coffee mug of your very own. Mmm, mmm, savory, delicious Mega Pickles. 
Head on over to SomeGadgetGuy.com, support banner on the top right-hand side of my website, and hopefully you find something cool, something you like, while also kicking me a little extra scratch. Again, so much of our policy really needs to be refocused on away from how do we how do we guarantee the highest value for corporate shareholders? And now we need an entire generation of people who are only going to look at laws and regulations and business practices by what's the least amount of harm that's being done. And unfortunately, people my age and older aren't going to be programmed for that. We're, 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 we're not going to be as, as useful a part of that conversation. <laughs> Twin folk in China, data harvests you. Oh man, that's hilarious. <laughs> Simon says hypno data theft happens in the West. It's why I carry a gun. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> I love it. Oh man. Sore Hunter. I wish I could remove Bixby. Hopefully on Android 14, I will be able to, I mean, it's, I'm not bothered by Samsung putting on their own software. I just want to be able to control what's on the phone. I use Microsoft services. I use them pretty heavily. I'm in office. I, I use Outlook now as like my main email um, uh, managing front end. I, like, I'm fine with that. I, I, I think it's one of those situations where like if you weren't really going to use Office or OneDrive or Outlook and you bought a Samsung phone and you were annoyed by that, I, I, I get it. I totally get it. It's really just an issue of consumer education and control, though. I think the person who doesn't use Microsoft services but sees them pre-installed on a Galaxy isn't ever going to flip and say, you know what, people shouldn't buy Galaxy phones. They come installed with bloat. They have bloat on them. They have apps that I didn't want installed on them. So don't buy Galaxy phones is not something we'd ever hear. And I, I feel like that's correct. Yeah, all you need to do is learn about your device a little bit and you can manage your computer a little bit better and you're fine. We'd never extend that same olive branch to a Sony. <laughs> we don't extend that same consideration to a Moto or an Oppo or a OnePlus or a Xiaomi or a, a Kyocera or any of these other brands. But for some reason we're like, oh yeah, but like Samsung does it, but it's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. You can just like turn it off. It's fine. I feel like it's not a big deal. Not a big deal. Pretty much anywhere. A sore hunter. Wasn't it? Was it the HomePod? What was the product that was built? So there was an Apple product built in America, which didn't last long because of some because of some special screws that needed to come from China. I remember. I remember making a big deal out of like, hey, we're going to bring some manufacturing back to the United States, and I want to say it was something like a speaker, or was it one of the monitors? Was it one of the pro displays? Someone please correct me. My brain is Swiss cheese right now. I can't remember all of that. Yeah, Dave Burns, absolutely true. We could have scalpel responses if we used agencies and, de and deference correctly. We choose not to. We see how much of our legal system is built on legal precedent and not outright laws. Like a lot of what our Supreme Court is doing is now saying, you did not write a specific law that guaranteed this one specific protection under an amendment. So because you didn't, the amendment was enforced. We have an amendment to the constitution that grants you this type of, of privacy or security. And there's legal precedent that has defended that action throughout history. 
but you were originalists now on the Supreme Court. So you didn't write a specific law for this one specific instance of this one specific kind of protection. So now all of that legal precedent is thrown out the window and you don't have that consumer or that citizen protection or that citizen right anymore. And you want to talk about which side of the political aisle is actually engaged in slippery slope, you know, descents into losing rights and protections. And it's pretty clear one side of the aisle has a bit more of a focus on, on what's happening there. But the same thing happens. You're like, if we have to make a law explicitly detailing one specific kind of interaction or consumer harm, we'll never be able to adapt to a 21st century economy that is constantly changing with tech that evolves this rapidly. What we need to do is come up with regulations that have certain guidelines and some flexibility in how that might be enforced so that, that we can more nimbly respond to business practices that might harm consumers. But who you put in charge of those kinds of commissions and who you put in charge of those kinds of regulatory uh, bodies and agencies is critically important, as we saw with the FCC and how we lost net neutrality. Like, that was a decades-long fight in the making. We finally got it for a year. It was never fully instituted. And then Ajit Pai came around and just gutted the whole thing. So it's it's a bummer. We really should have the ability to more nimbly react to this kind of stuff. But like Dave Burns is saying, we we decided that, no, you need to spell it out in the letter of the law exactly this one little thing that could maybe happen. And that's how laws work. And that's not how a country functions. <laughs> I'm Ike Tech. Uh, I, I am someone who is very annoyed by bloat that you can't uninstall. Samsung has something like 50 gigabytes worth, right? Like, no, thank you. <laughs> Tell me again. Okay, so here, here's the thing. I'm going I'm to wrap this up. We never really did make it to talking about the OnePlus 11 or the Vivo. I, I, I very much enjoyed this conversation. So thank you for letting me kind of take an extended run on the gadget block talking about this, this study here. I just want to wrap up because I, I want us to, to look at the behavior. I just detailed a study about Chinese manufactured phones sold in China and how people took sort of the basic title of this study and bluntly applied it to all Chinese phones. Whether or not they did a good job in their articles of detailing the specifics of this study what really mattered was the outrage of the headline. And that's what really got articles shared. And people, I think, increasingly were reluctant to really read through the study. They just wanted their bias confirmed that China bad. It takes an order of magnitude more work to try and communicate the reality of what this study represents after all of the headlines have already, have, have already gone out there on social media and have already done the damage of sort of hurting or harming the reputation of a brand that kind of doesn't really deserve it. If it's Xiaomi, if it's Realme, if it's OnePlus, whatever. To the same token, Samsung phones manage storage in a specific way. Consumers are sold a phone with 512 gig of storage. The marketing says 512 gig, but then the person opens up the phone and immediately they only have access to like 470 gig right off the bat. It kind of doesn't matter what the process is 
of soaking up all of that information, all of that storage. It kind of doesn't matter. What we need to do is say, if you're going to advertise this phone has 512 gig in marketing, but then you use a different method of um, measuring the storage, that should be illegal. You are misrepresenting that what storage is actually built into that device. This is a, a problem we've had since the beginning of the hard drive. Are you just counting all of the bytes of data and you're just turning that into one number, but then you're measuring in, in base two. <laughs> so 1000 megabytes is a gigabyte, but really your operating system handles a, a 1024 megabytes is a gigabyte. That business practice should have died a long time ago. That is marketing that misrepresents the capabilities of the product. Because that's not what you're going to, you're not going to get the one with more GBs. <laughs> you're not going to get 512 GBs. So it was hilarious though, because like, oh, well, this has a different type of, you know, formatting and is this NFS or what, what kind of storage or file system, blah, 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 blah. The amount of backbending and hoop jumping that Samsung Knights did to defend this was hilarious. At the end of the day, a quantity of this storage is, is eaten up by what Samsung has pre-installed on the phone. The user is told they get 512 gig. Not only does the user not get 512 gig, a significant chunk of that is taken up by Samsung resources and a more significant chunk of that is taken up by Samsung than on competing devices. That's it. End of the day, that is all the user is gonna care about. So what is, what is the best way to manage consumer expectations and reduce consumer harm. Unfortunately, Samsung needs to go out there and say, this phone will provide the user with 470 gigabytes of user addressable storage. It's a 470 gig phone. If you want that bigger marketing number that says the 512, you need to give the user, as the phone recognizes how the storage is used, you need to give them a bucket of data that actually says 512. That's it. You want to say it has it? The user needs to be able to see it when they open their phone. And that's going to hit Apple, and that's going to hit Sony, and that's going to hit OnePlus, and that's going to hit everybody. The only way to do this is to make it fair for everybody. But if you open up a Samsung, and you told the user you get 470 gig of addressable storage, then out of that 470 gig, you can't eat up 50 gig of other services and skins and one UI. You've got to make that its own distinct partition from what you've promised the user. And I'm a little tired of that. I'm a little tired of saying this has a 256 gig drive. Like, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. I, like, I still get those messages from my family. Like, yeah, I just bought this new laptop. Is something wrong? Do I have a virus? <laughs> You're like, no. It's just that Windows takes up space and, you know, it, it, it doesn't measure gigabytes in the way that you think it measures gigabytes. That is actually, they sold you what's correct, but they marketed it as something totally different. We'd never see that kind of Samsung Knight reaction for a OnePlus. It, again, we, we've seen like other controversies like, 
Uh, my favorite one is the OnePlus camera controversy. It doesn't really have a three times zoom on the OnePlus 7. And it absolutely did because techies are terrible at camera gear. Techies fundamentally do not know how smartphone cameras work, what crop factors are, any of that stuff. So they all wigged out when, it, when OnePlus perfectly and correctly advertised what the capabilities of their camera was. But armies, it, it's a lie. They're lying about their zoom. Their zoom isn't the real zoom. Their zoom is a crop and that's different and it's bad. And you're like, you're so stupid and I don't even know how to point you in the right direction because you think you know something about this tech and you totally don't. But Samsung does this, and oh, but no, it's different. It's different because the file system stores information more efficiently. Well, if it stores information more efficiently, shouldn't it take up less space, not more? If, it's, if it stores information more efficiently and that's measuring gigabytes as something different, shouldn't Samsung not advertise 512 if you're going to get 470? At what point do you just sort of lean into the fact, you know, like, I don't really care what what the company does, I'm just going to say that the Samsung version is better. At some point, you just want to, we just need that disclosure, right? I don't know what I do is I just say that whatever Samsung does is better and it doesn't really matter. But if you own a Samsung phone, you'll like what I have to say because I'll make you feel good about owning a Samsung phone. I don't want to make you feel bad about owning a Samsung phone, but this is a business practice that has been a pain in my arse for years. This has been something that has fundamentally been difficult to understand since I was a little kid with waka 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 floppy drives. <laughs> like doing the math on what is marketed on a hard drive versus what I can really use in terms of storage has always infuriated me. And it's getting even worse as we're putting big storage into supremely expensive phones. We're talking like $1,200 devices and the consumer who picks it up and starts using it is going to see a lie. <laughs> they told me I had 512. Why does it not say 512? Yeah, I'm just going to go buy an iPhone. They lie to me the same way, but I won't feel as upset about it because Samsung already lied to me. So I might as well just go with the It Just Works company. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> yeah, McCorkerin, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm still worked up about it because the same thing happens in SD cards. He says, I'd be less worked up about it if they didn't remove SD card support. I mean, same thing. I've got, I've got a terabyte. This is a terabyte of storage right here in this little SSD, but not really because it's a thousand gigabytes as measured just by bytes. But when you do the storage on this as, as base two, you know, 1000, you end up with like 900 gig. That's not the same, is it? I want one TB. I want the one with more TBs. This has always been a problem. But we never see the defense of another brand like we see the Samsung Knights trying to point out. It's different. But, but no, no, no. It's not fair because you're measuring on Samsung gigabits are different than OnePlus gigabits. That's how it's different. Gore <laughs> more. <laughs> uh, that's 50 gigabytes of features. You're welcome, Juan. <laughs> Quote from Samsung. <laughs>
Oh, Tech by Jermaine, I'm not sure exactly what you're trying to get at here. I have to be fair, I believed it back then, but I had to learn and thought myself to know more about it when it comes to that three-time Zoom. So the whole con controversy of that three-time Zoom was that they were using a smaller section of the sensor from a 12-gigabyte sensor, but that's how a crop factor works. If you use a smaller portion of a sensor against a lens, you get the optical effect of more Zoom. So it was totally and completely accurate to say they had a three-time zoom on an eight megapixel camera. Like mathematically, absolutely correct. Optically, completely correct. There were no software shenanigans and there were no other influences that changed the field of view or the image created. That's how crop factor works. And you had a whole bunch of people, but it's really a 12 megapixel sensor. So it's not really a three-time zoom. Like, no, that is completely and totally correct that an eight megapixel crop of that sensor results in a three times optical zoom. And there's no other manipulation there. So that to me is like, when I see techies like getting out there and getting outraged about some perceived slight on a OnePlus, we need to say, is this really a consumer harm or is this comparably different than when Samsung upscales your 10 megapixel image on the zoom on a Galaxy S23, it's only a 10 megapixel sensor, but they want all the sensors to look like 12 megapixel sensors. So they just make up 2 million pixels on that zoom. Is that a consumer benefit? No, but it makes the Galaxy S23 look a little bit more like the iPhone because the iPhone really has 12 megapixel sensors. So where's the outrage? Why are we okay with a, a, <laughs> a 2 million pixel imaginary upscale on that sensor, but then we're upset like when the OnePlus 7 did a sensor crop to give you a true three times optical zoom on the OnePlus 7. So this is what I mean. Like this is where it's getting infuriating because we'll bend over backwards to explain how something is different than what you think it is on a Samsung. And then a comparable situation arises and it's just pitchforks. OnePlus is stealing all your data because Chinese phones are bad. I mean, I didn't read the study. The study doesn't say that at all, but I have this feeling that that's bad. So I, I guess I get more clicks on my article that way. Oh yeah, so McCorkran is kind of summing this up for me. I think Juan's primary thesis is about the double standard and hypocrisy and using media literacy to help counter it. I feel we should know more about what our devices do. And that apparently makes me not as popular as I should be <laughs> on YouTube. Because that's what YouTube has become. I hate it so much. <laughs> yeah, and McCorkerin too. Again, this leans into, this is really instructive when you, after seeing Luis Rossman's report on Samsung manipulating Reddit with bots and AstroTurf comments. Again, Luis Rossman went into an AMA and was like, hey... Um, what about removable batteries and SD cards and headphone jacks? And they deleted his comment and they sort of shadow banned him from that subreddit so that other people couldn't see his comments. And you're like, that doesn't speak to me of a company that's really confident in their products. That speaks to me about a PR strategy that is trying to fake the interest in their products. I don't believe Samsung deserves the de facto recommendation in Android land. I don't think they've earned it. I really don't. And I would say that premium tier sales on Samsung phones support my assertion that Samsung is not getting the job done. Samsung is overwhelmingly selling phones below $400. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, Ike. Uh, <laughs> is it, I'm sorry, is it I'm Mike Tech or I'm Ike Tech? I want to make sure I'm crediting to the correct uh, <laughs> Twitch account. Uh, sorry. When you go to McDonald's and order a double quarter pounder, you expect two burger patties. They'd catch hell if you ordered it and you had a patty and a half, yet their ads say you get two beef patties. That is what these tech companies are doing <laughs> with our GBs. <laughs> well, it's the way, but you know what? Okay, I'm sorry. Um, I'm like tech. So the funny thing about the quarter pounder is actually a very good representation of advertised versus um, the consumer experience. Because when you go to McDonald's and you order a double quarter pounder, the weight is calculated pre-cooked. So when you cook the quarter pounder, you don't get two quarter pounder patties. You get less than a half a pound of beef because some of the weight is going to cook off. So they're actually doing the same thing as the GBs. It just works. The business model just works. It works in food and it, and it works in GBs. So um, <laughs> I feel like that's probably the note that we should go out on. <laughs> I Mike Tech. Okay, good. I'm sorry. Because I'm also pals with Ike Talks Tech. Um, and Ike is a really good dude. And I genuinely didn't know for a moment. I couldn't remember because my brain is Swiss cheese right now. If Ike had a Twitch account that was different than Ike Talks Tech. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. That just cracked me up. <laughs> a DTNL1 has some beef to squash. <laughs> okay. So I just want to wrap this up. I want people to like their phones and I'm kind of tired of articles that only weight that in the direction of now. Now I would say it's becoming a little bit more fair in the United States across three companies. Google gets this kind of begrudging consideration. Samsung is the de facto Android recommendation and iPhones always beat Samsung's. That's the hierarchy. And that is so dull. And I want you to like your phone if you have a Samsung. I want you to know that you bought the Samsung because it really got done what you wanted it to do. And that's where I'm so excited to talk about things like DeX. The compute power of an ultra tier Galaxy phone is flipping phenomenal. And you should be using that to displace your need for other computers in your environment. Now you're talking about a $1,200 productivity-focused S-Pen-delivered device with good cameras that can really get an enormous amount of work done. That's the target consumer. If you're picking up an S23 Ultra and you're telling me, like, I kind of like to play some Candy Crush, you grossly overspent. You wasted so much of your own money to line up with that. But at the same token, if what makes the S23 Ultra a good buy is not what you're going to use it for, let's talk about the army of phones on my desk right now that will be a better fit for your needs and will save you money in the long run too because you're not trying to force a product into using it in a way that really wasn't built for and if you don't need all of the productivity features and compute power features of an ultra you could spend a lot less money <laughs> you you should be excited to spend a lot less money on this gadget and we're not going to get there if we just keep pretending that the hierarchy is entrenched. I mean, I'm looking at it all the time because like we're doing this thing where it's like, well, if you want an Android, 
the S23 Ultra is the best phone. I'm already seeing it. It's the phone of the year. I mean, these cameras, the 200 megapixels, they're just so much more improved. I mean, just this is night and day difference from the S22 Ultra, which isn't true. Refinements, some processing differences, it's not fundamentally different. A little bit better, and we should expect that. It's iterative. But then I'm already seeing, like, especially across, like, Apple subreddits, Oh, but the iPhone 14 destroys the Galaxy S23 in this Geekbench score. So it, it's just now become the, the pattern. If you're only going to compare garbage Android phones, well, the Samsung is the top pick. If you need to have one of those garbage Android devices, then that's the one. But if you want a phone that just works, then we've got to find a way to make sure that iPhones always win the comparison against Galaxies. And that's going to upset Galaxy fans. And we know Galaxy Knights go out there and storm castles and leave all kinds of outrage comments and share those videos that upset them. So that's the, that's the perfect business model. Google phones get a begrudging recommendation because Google software. Andro uh, Samsung phones get the de facto recommendation for being the Android top pick. And then iPhones will always win for being the It Just Works company for average consumers that are out there looking to spend over $1,000 on a phone. That's true in Apple land. Overwhelmingly, we're seeing people in Apple land spend over $800. Those people are getting raped for a basic phone. That is not what we should be celebrating as a business practice. There should be an iPhone in the four to $600 tier that delivers current hardware and good performance you shouldn't have to look at an iPhone 14. Was it $799? <laughs> Come on. Covering the basics for average consumers. The average selling price of an iPhone being over $800 is a failure for reviewers and for tech enthusiasts. We should never have let that happen. We should never have let that get normalized as consumer behavior. It is actually a victory that the average selling price of an Android phone is much closer to $300. Because I have a 300 euro phone right here that is a flipping phenomenal daily driver, is overpowered for covering the basics, has a good camera, great speakers, great screen. This has 120 hertz, has 120 hertz display. We, we said that was so important that we compared a Pixel 6a against an iPhone 13 Pro to talk about how important 120 hertz was. But why aren't we comparing the $300 Poco to an $800 iPhone 14? An $800 iPhone 14 does not have 120 hertz. And this does have 120 hertz. So isn't this better? Sh shouldn't that be a feature that we show off and we talk about? That's what's killing me. Is It's that inequity and that kind of... We're making these videos for tech enthusiasts that watch tech enthusiast videos. We're not making them for consumers. A video like that is not made to educate average consumers. That video is made to confirm the bias of an audience that is already invested in one team over another. And it's built to upset half of the tech viewers that watch it. It's built to harm their mental health and in harming their mental health, they will act. They will act out of outrage and get your video more popularity. So on that note, it's hilarious that hamburgers and hard drives marketed the same way. <laughs> marketed is more than what you're really going to get. <laughs>
hamburgers and hard drives. They're both they're both out to get you. So, folks, um, let, let's go ahead and wrap this up right now. I'm going to have some videos coming out and some articles coming out. I have so much testing to do. I'm, I'm about a third of the way through a script on uh, the OnePlus camera uh, deep dive. I am shooting so much on the Vivo X90 Pro. I haven't been testing it. So I haven't really been going out there to shoot the samples that I need. I'm going to try and catch up on that on this week too. And then I have a sponsored video that hopefully will be out um, either the end of this week or early next week. Just talking about like ways to pick up uh, data while you're traveling and install eSIMs and some stuff like that. So hopefully that'll be some really fun stuff too. And there's more stuff coming in. Like February, is it, we're only like two, we're halfway through February. And like the number of FedEx receiving notifications that I'm getting is a little concerning about how much stuff I'm going to try and cover over the next two months. And I do need to find some ways to kind of portion this stuff out or else I'm going to be putting out like five videos a day for the rest of the month. Probably not, not a great strategy. So, um, it's going to be a wild ride and I'm so glad to have you all along for this wild ride. Uh, especially those, those of you who are, are, are more excited to talk about the tech landscape than just talking about one brand. That's, I feel the most critical mission for our little pocket, our little club of nerds here on the internet is uh, good comparable information is is becoming increasingly more difficult to kind of kind of latch on to. So, uh, folks, uh, stay tuned. But also, uh, just the thank you and the appreciation for joining these conversations, and not just letting bad data kind of float out there. A little pushback. I'm not saying get into arguments about stuff with people or fight people on this stuff, but just that little token resistance of like, no, I don't think that's what what this really is, or no, that's not really how that works, or, you know, I think there's a better way to measure this. That's all it really takes. Just that little kernel, that little seed of, 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 uh, not doubt, but of comparable analysis, just to plant it. And, And I think in that strategy, We'll kind of grow. We'll change some minds, and I, I think we'll we'll add some more people to our ranks just for saying that's not really how this works. It's close, but it really works more like this. And then I feel we get some healthier discussion and some healthier conversations. I'm gonna be back next week. Oh, um, across the week we've got tons of great streams going on. Uh, we've got Gadget Goddess on Tuesday. We've got Easy Computer Solutions on Wednesday. We've got Talks Tech. I'm missing someone on Thursdays. Is there a second stream on Thursdays? Oh, Easy also does like a podcast on Thursdays too. TK and I will probably be going on Friday, Friday morning for best of our week. Um, we've got Saturday streams. We've got uh, Tech for Your Needs. We've got... Oh, people tell me there's other stuff going on. Oh, El Jefe Reviews on Sunday. Um, There's a lot. I mean, every day there is content to watch that I feel approaches this from a broader tech-healthy kind of perspective and conversation. So, folks, uh, stay tuned. Have fun. I want you to be awesome with your technology. I want you to do awesome with your technology. And I want you to take care of yourself so that you can help, you can keep taking care of other people around you. You're doing the good work, and I really appreciate you for that. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Monday Morning Tech Chat Show on the SGGQA podcast channel. Be safe. Take care. I'll catch you back. I love you all.
Recording voiceover, spoken word is truly one of my favorite activities. My second favorite hobby is photography. Now, the smartphone might be making us deaf, but we can't deny the awesome power of the phone as a platform for photography and multimedia creation. If you've been looking to improve your mobile photog skills, if you want to produce more professional content, or you're just looking to take your family photos to the next level, I wrote a book to help you out with that. Take Better Photos, Smartphone Photography for Noobs is available on Amazon Kindle. Walking through the basic terminology of photography, covering the settings on your camera, discussing composition and inspiration, and I even include a long list of exercises and challenges to really hone your skills, all with some helpful example photos and diagrams. Search for Take Better Photos, Smartphone Photography for Noobs on Amazon, or use the quick link bit.ly slash betterphotosbook to grab your copy today.